It's time for F1 Break Check. We are back with another scintillating episode to lift you out of the off-season doldrums. Today, we'll talk about the surprise news of the week and the latest from the rumor snow globe. Corey will be emceeing a new segment we are now calling Stump the Pundit, and Corey and I will discuss our top three favorite F1 tracks. Buckle up and settle in. F1 Break Check is go, go, go. Welcome. You are listening to F1 Break Check. The epic podcast for all things Formula One, where we discuss technology, history, news, and perspective. With your hosts, Scott Vick and Corey Green. We're back with F1 Break Check. With me, as always, is my intrepid partner in crime, Corey Broom. Corey, how are you doing today, sir? Cold. So, <laughs> yes. Texas has two temperatures, cold and extremely hot. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Right yes. now, we're sitting at, what was it? Last I checked, like 15 degrees or something like that uh, Fahrenheit. Right now, according to my thermometer, it's 28 degrees outside, 28 degrees oh. Fahrenheit. So it's warmed up <laughs> quite a bit then. Yeah. It's like summertime then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For Alaska, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a fan Antarctic. of the cold. I had yesterday off, so it was a four-day work week's always good. How about you? Just trying to, A, stay warm, B, try to get back into the swing of things. It was a three-day weekend here in the United States for a lot of people. All right, so Corey, what are your thoughts on the surprise news coming out of the Haas camp that Gunther Steiner and Gene Haas have mutually decided to part ways and not renew his contract for 2024? So as we sit right now, Gunther Steiner is out at Haas as team principal. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know how much of a, it was both of them type of thing. I think it was mostly Gene Haas <laughs> saying, hey, you're not going to have a job anymore. But I would like to say that I was very surprised, but just from the aspect of he's so popular, people tend to like him, especially from Drive to Survive. People not really even familiar with F1 knows about him. But if we look at his overall performance, it wasn't all that great. It, there was a lot lacking there. They were last place last year. Uh, they were um marginally better the year before and he let Mick Schumacher go which you know in my opinion I think was a little bit too rash uh, of a decision brought Hulkenberg in and didn't do any better actually he did a little bit worse so you know it all boils down to or it all bubbles up to the team principal just like Benotto he was let go because of all the issues that Ferrari was going through totally understand that and same here you can argue back and forth well it wasn't his fault it was his fault at the end of the day it it comes down to him he was in charge of it all if you're going to blame the car well he's the one that is responsible for the engineering if you're going to talk about strategy well he's in charge of strategy as well it all comes down to him so you know if, if somebody wasn't doing their job it was his job to make sure that that was happening, or if it wasn't, to replace that. So those are my thoughts. What about you, Scott? So yes, in large part, I totally agree with you. Although surprising that there wasn't more of a run-up to it that was kind of sudden, I can't say that I'm really totally surprised. Gene is very much used to having success at all levels. I kind of liken it to in america with american football team does not do well usually at the end of the season you usually see the general manager or the coach get sacked and i kind of look at it that this is kind of the same thing as it's like we hit the end of the season and 
Gene just basically said, Gunther, you're not getting the job done. And they just decided to part ways. I couldn't agree with you more that it was just simply the results weren't there. They started off, they had a lot of promise and everything, had a couple podiums, and then they took a step backwards. And it sucks because I like Gunther. I think that he is quite the character. I saw an article that said that Gunther got where he was at by being such a character. That helped him a long ways, but then in the end, the results didn't jive with his gregarious nature and his ability to to have this larger-than-life personality. And so that was the reason why they never had great results at Jaguar under his leadership. I wish him all the best. He wasn't technically fired. It's not like Benotto, who has a quote-unquote non-compete garden period that he has to adhere to you know before he's allowed to rejoin any other team in formula one because gunther was basically just told that we're not renewing your contract and you're out he can go to work anywhere else in formula one i wish gunther nothing the best even though he has killed one of my predictions when i said that gunther is <laughs> yeah. going to be everywhere and as of right still now may be. Going to be just not an f1 yeah just not an f1 <laughs> <laughs> he still has that show more than likely he's still going to be in drive to survive so he's still going to be around so yeah i, I haven't figured, counted out your your prediction yet probably 85 90 percent of drive to survive is already in the yeah. can and is edited but i guarantee you they are scrambling to find some additional footage and stuff to add in before it's actually released in the coming weeks one of the questions i had for our audience is what do you guys think what are your thoughts about Gunther leaving? Is it a good thing? Do you see good things happening to Haas or do you see the reverse? Moving on to our next story, going from a parting of ways to a renewal of vows, if you will, for lack of a better term. Uh, Toto Wolf this week signed a three-year extension to keep him at Mercedes for the foreseeable future. Corey, what do you think? You think this was a good thing, Toto, or do you think it was just kind of a foregone conclusion? Uh, definitely foregone conclusion. I mean, he's one of the best out there. Uh, I know him and Christian have had words <laughs> back and forth, but he's definitely one of the, uh, the elites. I mean, if I was Mercedes, I would be crazy to try and put somebody else in there. They've had issues, most definitely. But even with those issues, I mean, Lewis finished third. Russell finished fifth or sixth. So, yeah, they had some struggles. But, I mean, look at the results. <laughs> The results are fantastic, and they came in second in the constructors. I don't see anything else that, that you could have done. Absolutely the smartest move. You can't deny what he has already done for the team. You can definitely see the contrast between the results that Gunther got at Haas as the leader and what Toto has been able to do at Mercedes under his leadership and how they kind of went in opposite directions from each yeah. other. Tell us in the comments what you think. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of extensions and Mercedes, Williams and Mercedes have extended their partnership going well past the next iteration of the rules change in 2026. So, all right. So just a little history. When the current power unit regulations came into effect, Williams was one of the first teams to sign up with Mercedes for them to continue on through the next regulation change cycle in 2026. Williams has definitely been going in the right direction from the perspective of results 
and yeah. their standings in the constructors championship for them to have that continued stability going into 2026 in with the new power regulations, I think is going to definitely pay dividends to Williams. What are your thoughts? We're looking at one of the premier manufacturers for them. It's an easy win for them. On other power unit news, Ford announced this week that they reached their first milestone as the new power unit supplier for Red Bull. Now, what that first milestone is, we don't know. There really wasn't a lot of details that came out. It just it was just an announcement. The fact that Ford is so far, it seems to be on track, I think bodes well for Red Bull's continued competitiveness. Once the new regulations come into effect, I'm really excited to see what Ford can do in comparison with Honda. Honda is such a fantastic manufacturer. It's going to be very interesting to see what Ford can bring. It'll be very interesting to see what Ford can bring. And it'll also be very interesting to see that now that Honda has reversed course and it says they're going to resume full participation. Because, I mean, let's be honest, as we've talked about before here on the podcast, Honda said that they left Formula One, but they've still been providing all kinds of technical support to Red Bull, even though the engine is technically badged as a Red Bull power unit. Final piece of news for this week, we got more announcements for car reveals that Alpine will be revealing theirs on February 7th. Mercedes will be revealing theirs on February 14th. And Red Bull will be revealing their car on February 15th. All three will be done at the team's factories in England. Corey, your thoughts on any of the reveals or on the new livery? I'm happy, finally, that Mercedes and Red Bull have decided when their next car is going to be revealed. And then at delivery, have you seen it? It looks really slick. Yeah, it does. For those of you who haven't seen the pictures yet, they have updated it and they've added a lot more orange to it. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas last year's car was, for all intents and purposes, mostly black with a little bit of the McLaren papaya orange. This next year's car is going to be way more of the very striking and very recognizable McLaren orange with way more orange on the engine cover and the trailing end of the side pods i'm with you Corey. i think it looks really really slick it's gonna be exciting to actually see that on the track yeah it will be all right so we're gonna move on to a new segment a couple weeks ago off the cuff we kind of got into a little bit of uh trivia when we were talking about the weight of the drivers and how the weight of the driver takes and figures into the overall minimum weight requirement for cars in formula one Building on that, we have come up with a new segment that until we can come up with a better name, and please share in the comments, please share you know any ideas that you have for this segment. For, for right now, we're going to call it Stump the Pundit. Each week, Corey's going to come up with a new trivia question for me. So, Corey, take it away. All right. So for our second one, I chose the drivers who crashed and cost their teams the most amount of money. So what I'd like to do instead of going through the entire, you know, 20 different drivers, let's take the bottom three and then say the top three. And okay. Go from- so starting from the bottom three, who would you suspect to be on the bottom three? So, okay, there, so- these would be the people that the drivers that cost that got in the fewest amount of wrecks and cost their teams the fewest amount of money. Okay. So just to put a a little context, is this just for 
last 2023. season? 2023. 2023. Yes. Okay. So of the 20 drivers that were, or of the 21 drivers that raced in Formula One, or actually, I guess it would be 22 when you add in Liam. So, okay. So there's 22 drivers that drove in Formula One. So the, the, okay. So number 20 automatically, it's got to be Max because he right. completed every lap this year. He didn't have any retirements. I'm going to go with number 20 is Max Verstappen. Right at three hundred forty-five thousand dollars, he cost from the bottom. So nineteen. Okay, so nineteen with nineteen, I'm going to go with Fernando Alonso at Aston Martin, only because up until I think it was either thirty or four races before the end, when he retired because of a transmission issue, he had not had a retirement either. He and Max at that point were the only two that had completed every lap. So I'm going to go with Fernando Alonso. So, man, you are very, very close. But no, that is incorrect. It is actually George Russell at 670000 Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 18. Who do you think? Okay. All right. So if George was at 19, then I'm going to go with lewis at 18 so i think it's going to be the red bull and then the two mercedes you were so close so <laughs> it's valtteri botas at seven hundred thousand. but in your defense 17 is alonzo 16 is hamilton you're <laughs> okay <right laughs> okay all right then <laughs> so flip this around let's go okay number three number three so number three would be uh, third most crashes or third most expensive crashes to the team in 2023. Okay. okay. So I'm going to go, let's see. I'm going to go with number three, Hulkenberg. I don't know why, but it just seems like to me, he had quite a few shunts this year in trying to get back into the swing of things. So I'm going to go with Nico Hulkenberg. Man, uh, this is one that you're you're really far off. Actually, Nico is at 155 million, a lot more than what we were just talking about. But he is not close to third, actually. Really? Yeah, it's Sergio Perez, Checo. Really? It shocked me. Interesting. Too. Yes, that that Sergio. is seriously shocking. <laughs> I I don't remember Sergio having that many yeah incidents, Big, but yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess in the earlier part of the seasons when he wasn't winning, he was crashing. So, <laughs> well, not only that, but you know, the other thing that I was thinking about was even later in the season when he got so aggressive, he was getting into many more wrecks, which cost obviously more money. Now, mm -hmm. those wrecks didn't take him out completely, which made me not really think of Sergio, but mm -hmm. it still obviously cost quite a bit of money. So, he comes in number three at three. Point twenty-two million dollars. Wow! Just last year, in damage. Yeah. Now number two. <laughs> number two, because I already this, know who. who one, I'm gonna... dude, if you get this one, I'd be shocked. But go ahead, let's let's try. Number okay. Two. So, because I know who number one is going to be. So number two, I'm gonna go with because it's not gonna be Albon because he was like middle of the probably middle of the pack, probably somewhere around ten or eleven. Um. I am going to go with Oscar Piastri at Alpine because I do remember that he had quite a few 
retirements and unfortunate events. So I'm going to go with Piastri. Piastri is close. He's at okay. 2.27 million. Okay. He's further down. He's like 10th or so. Really? It's actually Carlos signs at 3.64 million for 2023. It's shocking. That makes I, yeah. No, I, because it, 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 would, it would have no, been because, signs, but yeah, it, it signs at number two. No, actually, you're right. That that makes perfect sense because I guarantee you just the damage that was done to the battery packs in Las yeah. Vegas when he sucked up that water valve cover in, and it tore open the bottom part of the floor That because that's probably, besides the power unit, the floor is probably one of the most expensive pieces hmm. to build. And then plus, because the battery packs, in order to keep the, the, the center of gravity as low as possible, the battery packs are all running along the bottom of, of the floor. So that yeah. makes perfect sense that, yes, when, when it tore open the bottom of the car like it did, that accident alone was significantly expensive to yeah. repair. That does not surprise me at all. Number one will not shock you. How about this? I'll be shocked if you don't guess it. <laughs> number one, it's got to be Logan Sargent because Easy. of all yeah. of the, Easy. Yeah. Yes, because of all the number of accidents that he had this year. Yeah. Some of them were not his fault. He comes in at almost a million dollars higher than Carlos. So really? Logan four, comes in at $4.33 million for just wow. 2023. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So on to our next one. Yes. So this week, what we're going to do is our technical slash history discussion for this week. Corey and I are going to be talking about our three favorite racetracks, either current or former racetracks, and why we love them. So, Corey, I'm going to let you go first. So we're going to start from your third from favorite, your second favorite, and then your all-time favorite track. So go. So number three... Honestly, it's going to be Austin for me. There's a couple of reasons for that. It's right here in my backyard. More than that, I do like that track. The track itself, to me, is really challenging. It's very technical. I, I mm-hmm. love turn one. You go up that hill, you go around that blind. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I love it. I think it's classic. So I, I love uh, Austin. My other two, I like them for basically the same reasons. Number two would be Monza. Number one, Silverstone. Well, Monza is a little bit different. Monza, I like not only because of the history, very same, uh, similar to Silverstone, but something about Monza just has always attracted me to it. It's not only because it's heritage, because of how long it's been in F1. It's the only road track that I actually like. <laughs> I like tracks. I, I don't really like street tracks very much. But that one I, I do make an exception for because of the history, because of what it is. And just, I think it's a cool track. I, I love the way it's designed. And then moving over to Silverstone, I just think that, again, looking at the history and just everything that's happened at that track, well, you've covered actually the, the history in earlier podcast all through that different iterations of Silverstone, where it's come from, where it is today. I just, I love the track. It's one of those, tracks that it's actually on my bucket list so it's one of those that i definitely want to see before taking a dirt nap <laughs> yes 
I definitely am right there with you on Silverstone and Monza, just simply because they have such rich histories, but they almost consistently always provide really great racing. All three tracks, the hallmarks of them is they have a great mix of high speed, longer straightaways that produce some great speed, as well as some very slower, more technical turns, as well as some very high-speed turns. That first chicane at Monza, as you come down the front straightaway and come into the chicane. Oh, yeah. And it's so much better now because I can remember the days back in the 80s, back when it was a double chicane. It really broke up the lap and led to a lot of early lap chaos and because it was so tight. And then when they took the second chicane out and made it just the single chicane that then takes and leads onto another great straightaway that then leads into a really fantastic, you know, turn. It's just an amazing track. And Silverstone, I'm right there with you because it's got such a rich history and it's produced absolutely epic battles throughout the decades in all of its iterations. So yeah, I totally agree with you on those. So what about you? So starting from the bottom, Watkins Glen in the U.S. I miss the days of when they ran at Watkins Glen. Now, the thing is, is that you have to remember is that Watkins Glen actually stopped being on the Formula One calendar even before I started watching Formula One. But the thing was, though, is that I have seen a lot of clips and I read a lot about it. And having driven the F1 track version on the simulator, the elevation changes, the high speed sections, it is an amazing, amazing track. And I miss it, even though I, like I said, I never actually got to see an actual, you know, complete live race from Watkins Glen. The stories about not just the the racing at Watkins Glen, but also some of the parties and the antics that went on oh, yeah. at Watkins Glen. It's definitely one of the great tracks in the history of Formula One. So number two on the list for me would be Imola. When I talk about Imola, though, I'm talking about Imola pre-1994. Because they had to change a lot of the corners after the tragic events of 1994 when we lost Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna. Tamburillo used to be one of the scariest and most iconic corners not just in Formula One, but all of racing, period. Tamburillo used to be spoken about like in the same breath as the Cops, Maggots, Beckett's complex at Silverstone, at the Parabolica at Monza, Eau Rouge at Spa, the Corkscrew at Laguna Seca. It was just an, an amazing corner. And now that it's more or less a chicane, even Ayrton Senna, who lost his life at the Tamburillo corner, even he would be the first one to be pissed off the fact that they changed that corner. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, so the pre-1994 version of Imlo is still one of my all-time favorite tracks. It was amazingly fast, and it always produced some really, really good racing. Because this year's race got canceled, we really never got a chance to actually talk about the history of Imola beyond the tragic events that happened there in 1994. When they held the Italian Grand Prix at Imola, It produced such great racing that the FIA had no choice but to give Italy a second race. And that's how it became the San Marino Grand Prix as opposed to the Italian Grand Prix. So the Italian Grand Prix is always held at Monza and the San Marino Grand Prix is held at Imola. 
So number one, as most people probably are not going to be surprised at this at all, but Spa Frankershawn is my absolute favorite track on the Formula One calendar. As I know, it is a lot of the drivers' favorite track. Au Rouge is, as Ayrton Senna said, Au Rouge is the reason why I do Formula One. Wow. <laughs> that particular corner, having driven it on the sim, having watched hundreds of races, not just Formula One, but having watched endurance cars formula two formula three motorcycles it's changed quite a bit over the years and if you, you can do a google search for a photo search and you can see how the corners and a lot of the parts around spa have changed over the years to make it quote-unquote safer and it was reduced in size because the original version of spa actually twisted through the forest and was considerably longer and it was also considerably way more scary and way more dangerous i mean there was a lot of drivers back once upon a time before spa was shortened to its current iteration of four point something miles i believe it was 13 or 14 miles in length originally and there was a lot of drivers who said that spa in its original iteration was actually even more dangerous and more scary than the Nordschliff at the Nürburgring. <laughs> so even in this current iteration, Spa is such a fantastic track. You know, the blast through Au Rouge up to the straight and then back down into Les Combes. If you look at them on a map, they're basically two 90 degree turns where it's just a quick right, left, and then you go down the hill into the carousel. That series of corners is just amazing. Spa is definitely my number one. Now that you and I have talked about our three favorite tracks, past or present, what about you, the audience? Tell us in the comments, what are your favorite tracks? Do you love Las Vegas? Do you loathe Las Vegas? Do you love Spa? Do you think Spa is overrated? Do you love Hockenheim for our German listeners? Let us know in the comments. Join the conversation. We would love to hear from you. And thus concludes another Gab Fest we call F1 Break Check. Join us again next week as we soldier on through the offseason, getting ever closer to the first car reveals. You can find Corey on X at MCBF1BC, and you can find me at Scott underscore D underscore Vic on X. You can also find the show on all of the socials at F1 Break Check. Take us out. Thank you for listening to F1 Break Check. If you have enjoyed what you heard, don't miss a single episode by hitting that subscribe button in your favorite podcatcher. Also, help us grow by sharing us with your friends and fellow F1 fans. We value your feedback and passion, so please take a moment to review our podcast. Your reviews help us grow and improve, and it means the world to us. Share your thoughts, rate us, and let us know how we can make the show experience even better. F1 Break Check is a production of Break Check Media. For your hosts Scott Vick and Corey Broom, until next time stay inside track limits, and try not to pitch it in the kitty litter.